Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning! Morning! Good morning! Good morning? You mean to wish me a good morning? What do you mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not? Please go away! Let me speak for the love of God! Welcome! <laughs> To another episode of Good Movie Monday. <laughs> we are the podcast presented by FakeShamp.net, home of the nerdy cinematic ramblings. And hey, if you found your way here by accident, maybe because you clicked on the wrong thumbnail or something, then why not stick around? We have a fantastic show for you today. Ugh, we're shaking the dust off our capes and polishing off our coffins because the theme for this week's show is vampires. My name is Glenn Cochran. You can consider me to be the Count Dracula of this uh, occasion. And with me, as always, is the one that you can probably refer to as Redfin. Ben Howig, g'day, mate. Hey, how's it, how's it going? <laughs> Pretty good. Juicy grubs over there? Yeah, I do. I do love a good grub. I'm just... As long I'll eat as many grubs as you want, as long as there are no more puns. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> I might have a couple more lined up somewhere. But uh, people might be wondering why vampires. That's a good question. That's because the Blu-ray release of the new Aussie Fright Flick, Blood Vessel, has just been released. Not only are we giving away copies uh, on this episode, but we'll also be joined by the director, Justin Dix, and the film's lead star, Nathan Phillips. So don't go anywhere. Make sure you hang around for that one. Naturally, we also have regular segments from Jarrett, Screen Realm, Adam, and Bonehead Weekly. And before we go any further, a reminder that Good Movie Monday can be found on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast from, and you can visit fakeshemp.net as well, because that's where all of the stuff that we do gets lumped into one place for your convenience. But Ben, before we <clears throat> sink our teeth into this week's theme, <laughs> dude, it's... It's happened again. Not only have we got another pun, but no sooner did we record last week's show and Sir Sean Connery passed away at the age of 90. Of course, our regular listeners will know that this show is cursed. Uh, there is a curse on it and, you know, celebrities choose to die in between when we record and when the, <laughs> when the episode drops. Uh, this is without a doubt very sad news. Sean Connery, absolute titan whose name has been referenced throughout this show since it began. It's, it may as well be a drinking game. But 90 years of age, incredible innings, his legacy is huge. What are three films that you would recommend to people who haven't seen a Sean Connery film that probably should? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, look, I would... Only three. Uh, <laughs> I mean, look, Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Start off with Young Sean. Uh, <laughs> that, I watched that after you recommended it. Did you love it? Oh, yeah. But, like, Scottish man playing Irish man in, in America. A... Uh, a fiercely proud Scott playing an <laughs> playing an Irish playing an Irish guy, but that it was that role in um, in W. O'Gill that got him noticed by Cubby Broccoli, which got him James Bond. Uh, yes, let's reference the fact that he sings in this film and he can't actually sing. No, oh, he can sing. He sing well enough for that. But that was, I believe, that was released as a single. That uh, 
Pretty Irish Girl, and it went to number one in the UK. I have been searching for a 45 of that song since I found out that it got released. Well, not only did I watch the film after you recommended it, I also sort of went and did a little bit of, uh, you know, deep diving into the production and all that. And he had to take some pretty strong singing lessons for the film because he didn't have a voice. But that that single that they released was only thrown at him the day before shooting. He didn't know he had to perform it. Right. And they just said, now read the lines and sing. And he had to just do it. It's funny that he couldn't sing because he was he got his start by, he was in the chorus for like South Pacific or something like that, or like one of those... Yeah, but when you're in the chorus, you just, just blend yeah, in with everybody yeah. else. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the conductor's like, you know, there's something quite, quite off. He just off, something it, off you. Know, yeah, and no one, no one realizes it's it's fucking Sean up in the back. Yeah, but did you know the reason? Also, the funny thing was that in prior to that, he had done a film with Lana Turner, and they had had an affair, and um, on the set when he was on the set of Darby O'Gin and the Little People. Johnny Stampanato turned up <laughs> to have words with him, the ga- gangster Johnny Stampanato. If you've seen LA Confidential, there's a bit with both of them in it. And uh, mm. uh, Lana Turner is played by Brenda Back in, in that film. It's pretty cool. But apparently, uh, yeah, Strong Connery took the gun away from uh, Johnny Stampanato and uh, showed him uh, what a real man could do <laughs> uh, with just his oh fists. That's, it sounds a bit, that's, I've made that sound a bit weirder than it should be, but um, yeah, he basically, uh, gave uh, Stompanato what for. Uh, but that was also why he never worked for Disney again, or at least not in Disney films, because they were like, this guy's got a bit of a dangerous reputation. Like he's hanging out with, uh, you know, scandalous people that aren't kind of on Disney brand. And yet he and Walt Disney would play rounds of golf together during yeah. those days. Well, that's, you know, Hollywood is nothing if not hypocritical. Uh, <laughs> so what other, uh, another two? So another two, look, I would say... If you haven't seen it, uh, look, I, because I haven't talked about it on the show, but I would say give, uh, he did a Western called Shalako with uh, yeah. uh, Bridget Bardot and I believe Robert Preston, uh, where he uh, helps a, there's a, a group of um, European nobility who have taken a tour, who've come to America and taken a, wanted to go on a, like a hunting trip in the middle of Indian territory. And they don't believe that the Indians are good fighters and can stand up to, uh, you know, Prussian military superiority. Uh, and then, of course, they get um, they get attacked and slaughtered by Indians. And Sean Connery uh, basically plays a kind of a tracker in the uh, and a scout for the army who leads them out of, of Indian territory. It's a it's a pretty awesome film. It's based on a Louis L'Amour or Louis L'Amour novel, which I've also read. And the novel is, as you would expect, much better than the movie, but uh, definitely one worth checking out. And the third film, I would say, just because it it was in the early days of the internet, it was uh, my favourite internet meme, but it would be Finding Forrester because Sean Connery definitely is the man now dog. Uh... (laughs) That's such an odd one for me. Like, I, I like Finding Forrester, but he feels weird in it for me. Oh, look, as a as a cantankerous old man, I I don't think uh, he's done it better than in Finding Forrester. Like he's basically playing the same character in uh, Entrapment, uh, except yeah. he just doesn't have as cool stuff to do. Like he's only got the the only one good bit in Entrapment is like, uh, no, it's blackmail, 
entrapments when cops were thieves. Like that's the best. Other than that, and watching Catherine Zeta-Jones do bendy things under under uh, under laser lights and stuff. Like there's nothing else in that oh. film to really watch. But <laughs> but uh, although I do have to go and revisit it now that I've just kind of got that mental image of the bendy stuff in it but uh <laughs> but i do like fighting forester is great and it's got like a little because it's gus van sant there's a little um oh, now i can't think of the film but uh matt damon has a little cameo at the end and he's like goodwill hunting basically kind of the character from goodwill hunting kind of uh pops they're in very the similar end. films in the way they feel i guess <laughs> yeah yeah it's that kind of that indie kind of drama type thing but it, you know I, I, th- I watch that film routinely. I'm going to throw two out there. I won't really talk about them at length, but two that I think are really, they, they highlight his um, ability as an actor to sort of, you know, stretch himself would be uh, Sidney Lumet's The Hill, which is a war film. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's really, he has some deep stuff in that, particularly confrontational stuff with the um, the guards of the prison. Uh, and the other one would be um, Outland, the Outland, Peter Hams film, right, which yeah. we, we mentioned a while ago. And I watched that after talking about it on a, a previous podcast, not knowing, obviously, he hadn't passed away. So, you know, it just became convenient that I had watched it. It's a really deep performance because, you know, it's a loose remake of uh, High Noon set on Jupiter's moon on a like a mining colony. I didn't realise it was. I didn't realise that's what it was. Yeah. And Peter Boyle plays sort of the other character. Um but the two, the, sorry, the the character of Sean Connery is, is torn between staying on this facility to get to the bottom of this corruption that's going on that's, you know, taking lives, and then his family leaves him to go back to Earth because they can't stand the environment anymore. And yeah. he's like, well, I've got the, do what way do I go? And he's torn. And you can actually feel that sort of, um, that dilemma in his performance, like, which is very rare for a Sean Connery performance. And the menace, like the the... The, the menace of the kind of the, the threat that's hanging over his head the whole time. Like he's, it was James B. Sicking is his kind of the dad from Doogie Howser is his kind of offsider. Yes. And he's like, you know, you, if we stick around, we're going to get killed. Like, and they, and, and Connery knows this throughout the whole film. Like if he stays, he's a, he can't possibly win, but yeah. he just can't leave. Like he just can't yeah, do it. Exactly. That, that interaction with his wife when she's like, we've still got a ticket, it's not too late, yeah. and he just can't do it. He's like, no, I've got to stay. It's, it's actually you know, pretty powerful stuff when you, you break it down. And, yeah. and I think it's a great performance, and it's just a really cool film. I actually now probably hold that in regards as Peter Hyam's best film as well. Mm. Which, you know, yeah, it's done a lot of good it's stuff. A, it's a very good film. I like, I like a lot of Sean Connery's films, but yeah, enough, enough. Otherwise, I'll keep talking. Otherwise, I'll keep talking. There's there's many more films I could talk about. Transylvania. Where is that? It's over there someplace. Isn't what it used to be. Did you see Dracula? Yeah, yeah, when it first came out. Now the Wolfman's getting electrolysis. I can go to the beach now. The vampire's getting lonely. Tell me you want me to. <laughs> and Dr. Frankenstein is getting crazier. Good. Everything hurts. Rated PG. It's good, huh? Okay, no. Well, anyway, we're not wasting any time here, mate. My interview with Justin Dix is coming up in a moment. But first, let's banter about some Nazi horror flicks, of which there are countless of them. Of course, Justin's movie, Blood Vessel, is set on a Nazi warship at the end of World War II. So how about I read out a bunch of Nazi horror films, and then you maybe can either cherry-pick one to talk about or even bring one of your own to the conversation. And we'll, con- sure. we'll consider that to be a recommendation. Um, all right, so we've got The Keep, we've got Shockwaves, we've got Outpost, Overlord, Dead Snow, uh, Blood Rain, Iron Sky, Frankenstein's Army, Ghosts of War, Blood Creek, 
And then, um, is it Isla She-Wolf of the SS or Isla She-Wolf of the SS? I think, I think it's uh, Ilsa, isn't it? Ilsa, that's it. So there we go. Just to name some, are there any there that tickle your fancy? I actually, <clears throat> there's a couple there I haven't seen and there's a, a couple there that I, I really love. Like Dead Snow is like as a horror comedy. Mm-hmm. is is a phenomenal film i loved overlord i thought that was really good and i'm looking forward to actually revisiting that one uh in the near in the near future um i completely forgot about frankenstein's army and i thoroughly enjoyed that i went to see the the australian premiere of that at uh the at cinema nova that uh, a good friend of mine zach hepburn put on and i think <laughs> it was me and two other people in the in the city. That, that one caught me right <laughs> off guard when that came out. I was like, um, I was drawn to it from the cool cover art and didn't really know what to expect from that one. But yeah, very cool. It was pretty, uh, pretty awesome. And like a, like a, you know, it was, it was, it was very similar to Overlord. Actually, now that I think about it, it's that same kind of uh, thing. Where, and also, I guess, similar to um, Wonder Woman when they. <laughs> You know, when she, all that Nazi stuff with Wonder Woman in yeah. the Wonder Woman movie. Yeah. And, you know, he's, he's creating weird things and he's a, and, you know, what's his name from uh, 30 Days of Night is a, uh, Danny Houston is like himself is like a, some kind of a weird. Yeah. Do you know, the, you know. the I think the first uh, Nazi horror film I ever saw when I was pretty young was Shockwaves. And that's always left an impression on me. Remember when the Nazis are all under the, the water? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's actually like um, was it Zombie Lake, the the Gene Roland one? Oh, yeah, maybe. Where they're all like Nazi Nazi zombies and they look really cheesy. Yeah, could be. Um, and Blood Creek is an interesting one. Like, I wouldn't say it's a great film by any means, but it's a Joel Schumacher film with your favorite Dominic Purcell. And, <laughs> and... you mean? Hang on, you mean Dracula from Blade <laughs> Three? <laughs> It's just like a a strange film and I really dig it. I don't know why. I think Joel Schumacher brings that sort of eight millimeter vibe to it. You know, that that dark production design that he does. Um, worth a look if you've never seen it. But Dead Snow 2 is another good one. Uh, yes, I don't. Funnily enough, Dead Snow and Dead Snow 2 kind of blend into one for me. I don't remember. So... What what exactly are you doing? What 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 are you doing over there? Because I'm trying to pad you. Like I'm trying to pad time here for you because it looks like you're trying to find oh, something. Sorry, I'm just I'm, I've got this notice on my computer just popped up saying my disk is almost full. Uh-oh. So I'm trying to find <laughs> stuff that I can delete so that this thing keeps recording. There's like a there's like a look of panic in your face at the. <laughs> yeah, I'm like what's uh, what's, uh it's I mean it still says I've got three gig. I'm like this is not going to take three gig. Because I but, totally like didn't <clears throat> expect to be talking about shockwaves or Blood Creek, and I'm just thinking, what's he doing? I better, I better throw something at him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I've got this. <laughs> I can get rid of all this stuff. This is all those. All right, so so now that now that all of that uh, that room has been made and you've uh, created some space for yourself there, what what <laughs> what Nazi films come to your mind? Yeah, well, I think I, t- I, sp- I talked about them all. I talked about the ones I was going to talk about. <laughs> 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 
I mean, we could obviously talk for hours about this kind of subject, but we've got to push on because we do have an interview to play for you. Um, maybe we can put that in the, the return to basket as we do with so many uh, subjects that we never actually return to. We're gonna have a best. Like we're gonna have a compilation episode at some point, mate. Like I think that's that should be our um, like not our the first show of next year should be like literally us going back through all of the shows this year and talking about all the things that we we're like we should talk about that for longer. Hey, that's a great idea. Pencil it down, and we won't do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but now, hey, um, Jarrett has been patiently waiting in the wings. Uh, so let's have a listen to what he has to say. And then after that, Justin Dix. Hey, this is Jarrett. And welcome to PE class. Now, this week I am dubbing Attack of the COVIDs because you've got films that were due to come out at the movies but didn't go to the movies because of the COVID. Then you've got the films that did come out of the movies that no one went to see at the movies because of the COVID. And then you've got a whole bunch of DTV filler, as always. And no doubt there's something with Eric Roberts or Danny Trejo in there. Let's kick it off with Disney. And they've got Milan coming out on DVD, Blu-ray, and 4K Ultra HD. This is the 2020 live-action adaptation of their 1998 animated feature. Now, of course, this was due to open in cinemas in March. Then it was postponed to July. And then ultimately ended up coming out as a premium rental on their Disney Plus subscriber service. So that means you didn't get it with a basic package, you had to pay a premium fee to rent it. But understandably, Disney had to try and recoup some of the costs of this rather expensive film. Now it's available on physical media, but if you want to try it before you buy, I've heard rumors that it's going to be part of the standard Disney Plus package in December. So you may as well hold out in my opinion. Then they are also releasing Milan, the animated feature on 4K Ultra HD. So this is its 4K debut. And as is the case with most Disney 4K releases of back catalogue titles, it is just the 4K disc, does not include the Blu-ray special features. But look, if you're paying less than $25, I don't think you can complain. Then moving on to Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. They've got the Flash Gordon gift set. Now this gift set is uh, from Studio Canal and it's pretty much mirrors the UK gift set that was released a couple months ago. The only exception being it doesn't come with the Queen soundtrack, but it does have the four discs, which are one 4K and three Blu-rays with a whopping amount of features, including the documentary Life After Flash. Uh, you've got a booklet, poster, lobby cards, and even an ion transfer. So there's a bunch of cool stuff there. And it's retailing at around about $90. <sighs> to me, it's probably about $50 or $60. So maybe wait for a sale to try and grab it if you haven't already grabbed the standard release of Flash Gordon, then a bunch of DTV titles coming out from Universal Sony. I'm gonna rush through them. You've got The Silencing, which is actually coming out on DVD and Blu-ray, unusually. Uh, Jamie Lannister in a DTV actioner. Then they've got a movie coming out called Target Number One with Josh Hartnett. Remember him, the heartthrob from the late 90s, early 2000s? Yeah, that guy. Well, he's back and he's doing DTV films. Then there's The Tax Collector, which is the latest film from David Ayer, and it's hitting home entertainment. And yes, it's that film that Shia LaBeouf got that chess piece tattoo done for. What a fucking idiot. Then there's a movie coming out called Welcome to Sudden Death. Now this is Michael J. White in this movie. And the actual synopsis reads like it's a remake of the Van Damme film from 95, Sudden Death. Could this be like a new studio low where they do DTV remakes of hit films rather than DTV sequels to films that were hit movies like a decade ago, like Cop and a Half and Kindergarten Cop 2, you know, those type of things. What's better? Like, I'm really, what is better? Is DTV sequels to films from 20 years ago? Or DTV remakes? I don't know. And then lastly, from Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, in my opinion, probably the most exciting release. This actually out Flash Gordon. 
It's Where'd You Go, Bernadette. This is the latest film from auteur Richard Linklater. And unfortunately, it was a case of being a casualty of COVID. It had a very limited theatrical release and seemingly zero coverage. It stars Kate Blanchett, and like anything from Linklater, you have to check it out. I mean, it's fucking Linklater. The guy's a genius. So that's it for me for this week. Until next time, stay physical. Now, this guy is a jack of all trades. As the founder of Wicked of Oz Studios, he's the writer, director, producer, production designer, makeup artist, and special effects guru, amongst other things. Some films he's worked on that you may know in one capacity or another was Star Wars, Babadook, Storm Warning, The Loved Ones, Red Hill, Charlotte's Web, The Bank Job. I could go on. As we mentioned on the show already, his latest film, Blood Vessel, was released onto Blu-ray last week. It's a pleasure to have him here for a chat. G'day, Justin. How are you? I'm good. And it's also just coming out on Shutter as well. So <laughs> Yeah, well look, it's um there's no excuse for people now. They um they can find it wherever wherever it may be. Uh and the first question I wanted to ask you was can you believe that a movie you've made is being released onto VHS? Well, actually, that was, um, no, I wanted it to be a bit, that was something actually that came out of the blue. Someone contacted me and I said to my distributor in the US, I said, hey, some guy wants to distribute it on VHS. So I said, do we want to do that? And he goes, yeah, it's actually just a good marketing thing. And he goes, you'll get no money out of it. It's fine. He goes, it's if you want it. And I said, well, sure. I, I mean, as long as I get one. <laughs> so that's, yeah. I mean, I just like, I just like the whole idea of the tangible holding the thing. Yeah. The VHS. I just, I'll put it on my shelf one day. I love it. Yeah. I've got a VHS of the dark crystals that'll go right next to that. Oh, absolutely. And uh, it's probably all sold out by now, but anyone that does want to try their luck on getting that it's released through lo-fi video, which is an LA based production company. But of course, as we said, umbrella have put it out onto Blu-ray and DVD and it looks amazing. I've been back to watch it again. Uh, first time I saw it was at Monster Fest, and I reviewed it for um, for Screen Realm. Love right, the okay. film, mate. Love it. Was it a good review? Was it one of the good ones? It was one of the good ones. <laughs> I, mean, I, have to, I have to admit, I don't care about bad reviews. I really don't because if you got to, in the film industry, you've got to have thick skin anyway because you're putting yourself out there. And I keep saying to people, one of the best reviews I've actually read, well, actually, I don't remember the most of the review. I just remember the last line, and it said, uh, this is one ship that should have never left port. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I thought that was clever. I thought that's that's clever. So I gave that some kudos. So I don't. It doesn't. Yeah, you know, I know. I know some people just don't like bad reviews. To be honest, I don't really don't care. I don't care. I just you've got to take the good with the bad. You can't please everybody. I basically made the movie for myself. If I enjoyed it, which I really love it, and I will keep watching it. That's that's that I'm, I've done my job. Bloody oath, mate. And I guess um. I don't know if I'm being presumptuous in saying this, but Blood Vessel to me kind of feels like it's almost a companion to your first film, Crawl Space, I guess, with the single location, the two-tone colour schemes. Was that intentional or is that more a signature of your filmmaking style? Uh, well, I'm sort of a, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm sort of like, okay, I'm a little bit of a control freak. So kind of, even though, so I was the production designer on Crawl Space, but I had a production designer on blood vessel but i kept saying i'm gonna go i want and i sort of said my dp i want this extreme red and blues i don't want everything like we can have our dark but i want i just want the really sort of a colorful color palette i don't really want it to be just dark dark dingy dingy you know so it was intentional the color palette but it was also i guess in a way if i have it i don't know if it's meant to be a companion piece but it's uh if i have a signature and it looks like one of my films good then you know kind of i'll run with it because i mean you know the next one i do i'll probably have uh, actually we've already done a promo for it and, it, and it's kind of got the same sort of vibe as well yeah you know, just like the same colors and you know sort of it's, yeah so I, I guess there's a thing there i don't know it's maybe a, it's, a, I, it's i i love that i mean the the blue and the red i almost felt like i was wearing those old-fashioned 3d glasses 
I never thought of it that way, but yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> um, so I guess in terms of influence, there's a lot of influence going on here. What was one of the, the main driving forces behind the creative process as far as you know, leaning on certain films of the past for nostalgic but, reasons? Uh, I, try, I try not to necessarily like copy things of the past, but at the same time, I am obviously influenced by the past and I have like massive affinity for anything John Carpenter. Um, you know, I just, he's one of my favorites, um, you know, and like just big trouble in China and the thing and Halloween or just any of those things, anything he's done really. Like there's one called Prince of Darkness. I really love, which a lot of people know. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, I just, I just like anything John Carpenter. I just think he has a, I can, I said to someone the other day, I can, if you put, if you put a film on and if I didn't, if, if you didn't tell me it was John Carpenter, I could tell you it was John Carpenter just because I can recognize his style. And I, there was just certain things about his movie and I did talk to Nathan about, the thing a lot. I said, this is an ensemble. I said, you're my Kurt Russell. I said, you know, I kind of want this to basically be a bit of a, um, you know, very much an ensemble piece, not a one particular, you know, I, I didn't want him to necessarily stand out so much, even though it's very hard to contain Nathan. <laughs> but at the same time, I just wanted it to be very much that you didn't know who was going to go next, you know, so it's one of those things. But uh, no, I just, I am very influenced by Films definitely of the 80s. In fact, the next one that we're doing is probably going to be, it's set in 1985 because I'm trying to go, well, you know what? I might as well embrace it. Fantastic. Look, I, I don't expect you to go into in any detail with that, but is it a set in Australia or is it an American set piece? No, it's an American set piece. It's just trying to be, I try to, you know, I mean, I basically, um, look, it, who knows whether it's going to go ahead though. I mean, like I've got a sure. couple of things oil, so, you know, but there's a, there's a few things that are sort of like, like me saying whatever film I'm doing next, may not be the next film I do. So, you know, there's no well, That's point. true. Let's just say that what I'm doing is I'm going through all my monsters. I've realized what I'm doing is I'm basically obviously in special effects and I have a massive affinity for monster movies. So I call them, you know, I'm doing creature features. In Crawl Space, I did like sort of a mutated things and psychiat psychic things and mutated gorilla or whatever. So, you know, and I had an alien, um, blood vessels, vampires, when, you know, there's two films there. It's either going to be, one's going to be either like, zombie cowboy movie or the other one that i have which is going to be like sort of like army of darkness like you got back there or um or uh, the other one's uh kind of like every single creature i can possibly imagine it's just like the grimm's brothers fairy tales brought to life so I, i'm kind of just got with werewolves and everything so i'm kind of going through just my i think i'm just trying to i just want to make every movie that has been of a creature you know what i mean i kind of feel like once i get it out of my system then i can move on to other things mate i've always said that fans make the best filmmakers you know when it comes to genre yeah, yeah. Well, I've always wanted to make a werewolf movie, so that will, I mean, that is possibly my next one, but we're not sure yet. But awesome. again, which one, which way, which way we lean, but yeah. Yeah, right. Well, given, given your um, background in practical effects and, uh, you know, you splash the real blood across the screen, uh, it's much more effective. It's easier to connect with as a viewer. Is there ever an urge to sort of concede to digital effects just for convenience? Uh, no, I don't. But the funny thing is, I... Weirdly enough, Blood Vessel, I didn't feel had enough blood. I feel I didn't have enough gore. It's after after the fact, I was kind of going, yeah, I really should have, that first guy that the, werewolf, that the vampire killed, he really should have ripped his head off. We should have just ripped his head off. It just had really gratuitous. And I kind of like, it was after the fact I decided, I, I went, you know, and we obviously didn't film it, so I didn't, couldn't do it. Um, yet I've seen reviews and things where they say, you know, oh my God, it's really, you know, full of blood and everything I'm going really I don't think it's bloody enough so I kind of like I just I, I kind of felt like I should have gone a bit further but I as far as digital goes I've always said say uh, my one of my sayings is don't default to digital you know practical where possible I still believe that because I think it looks more real saying that 
depending on which film I go, one of them I'm doing is I'm doing complete Sin City style, all on green screen. Very, yep. it's I'm completely going digital. Saying that, I'm still doing practical effects, you know, practical creatures and all sorts of stuff. Mm. Just, just using Unreal Engine for backgrounds and stuff like that. So. Well, I guess what those are, what those critics might have been thinking when you, they talked about all the blood is that you just splash the screen with red. It's that color scheme that maybe sort of tricked them. It's that Richard Donner school of uh, blood. You know, put put red in the frame and they'll they'll make up the rest. Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, I, I just I don't think it's that gory at all, to be honest. I and mean, maybe I just don't think it is. And if if, if maybe I'm just desensitized to it or something. <laughs> no, I mean, again, I look at things where. Uh, Obviously, there's a lot of influence. Even the like the captain, the captain with his to- throat torn out. That is completely the thing. You know, it's it's them discovering sort of the, like the the mystery that's abound on the ship, and you know, rather than the Norwegian camp. So it's very there's definitely I can see the influences, obviously, but that's just because that's the sort of the shit I love. You know. Yeah, well, they're the kind of things that us, you know, horror fans latch onto. Like we love that. You know, we don't think of it in any other way than delightful. Well, it's like it's like again, it's like Tarantino. He just like copies all his favorite things. So you know, right <laughs> well, he doesn't copy them, but he borrows uh, pastiche. Moments. And he yeah, and he and he and he definitely you know uses some shots and things like that. So I'm kind of I guess I'm doing the same sort of thing, but I'm just I'm just going through my John Carpenter phase. You know. <laughs> so tell me about the the ship itself. You shot it on a real ship docked in Melbourne. What were the benefits of being on a real ship, um, or more so, what were the difficulties of being on locations like that? Oh, well, there's both. There's the the, the benefits of the, the it's a ship and you can kind of point your camera anywhere you know you don't have to you don't have single you don't have edge of frame or anything like that you can kind of just point your camera anywhere it looks amazing um the only thing is it was looked too brand new so we had to kind of dirty it up and make it look kind of crappy and we actually end up building a bunch of sets over the kitchen set to make it look less modern and then afterwards we shot some like um we actually end up did we did shoot some um stuff in my studio but we ended up building, I just, it was actually, I built them myself, it's a couple of sets. And I went, man, I could have probably shot the whole film this way, really. I, I didn't have to, name, maybe maybe I didn't have to film the whole thing on a ship, which I, I'm glad we did because I go down there. Actually, I went down there on the weekend and just walked around it with actually one of my cast members, the guy who plays the German Huss. And uh, we were walking around it and reminiscing and go, oh, there's our ship, there's our ship. And we, we were funny. <laughs> God, we miss actually, we missed the ship, you know, because it was, I guess you could say it was like, uh, it was kind of like a bit of a going to summer camp, you know, we're, but oh, man, it wasn't summer, it was winter. It was like, it was freezing and raining, but it was our ship and, you know, you got, you, you get, I understand now that turned sea legs, didn't know what it meant before I got on the ship. <laughs> Once you run it all day and then you get off on shore and you're going, whoa, you know, swaying back and forth, you realize, okay, yeah, I know what the sea legs means now. Yeah, totally. Uh, this is probably covered on some of the special features on the Blu-ray. I haven't had a chance to explore all of them yet, but can you give us a little insight on the, the secret of those early shots in the life raft where, or even the ship itself throughout the film when you pan up and you get this wide shot of the ocean? You know, Where do miniatures come in and real photography sort of blend? Well, basically it's because we, yeah, it's just like that is the thing. We had the ship it's docked there it's been docked there for 30 something years it's not doesn't move and unfortunately you've got a wharf you've got a city of melbourne you've got yachts all around it it's very hard to not keep get them in shot and a lot of the time we did get them in shot so we had to obviously edit around that so to get those wides that you really want to um that you really sort of the film deserves of the uh, the film the sense of isolation any way to do it was a miniature and i mean you know we didn't think the miniature we thought the miniature would hold up but didn't know it would hold up as well as it did in a lot of scenes where we went, we just, I mean, when you have a miniature, you can just, just film the crap out of it for like, you know, a few hours and we just got so many, so much value out of it. And we were, um, 
and obviously it just worked really really well because obviously every time you turn the camera off in a digital effect it costs you money not on practical effects you can turn the camera on and off as many times as you want and it, you can just get it's just all it's all gravy so that was like um yeah, I 100% knew we were going to do a, a miniature ship right from the beginning because I'd done a miniature sub before and it was like bigger than that, bigger than the one we actually made for the blood vessel. And I knew it worked at that scale, six scale. And I went, yeah, that works fine. It'll work, no problems. Um, so I didn't bother really utilizing the real ship except for when we had the cast having to climb it or kind of go up to the side of it and things like that. There was no real point because it was very hard to get a wide frame on it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm also a massive fan of Nathan Phillips, who obviously is um, you know, more or less your headliner in this one. He's got a real knack for bouncing between sort of Aussie larrikin performances and then really powerful, emotionally charged performances. And I think he, he worked both of them quite well in this film and he produced it. What, what's it like to collaborate with him? Oh, great. Because we basically, what happened is he's a massive believer in the project. He's like, me and Nathan have a lot of the same sensibilities. We love the same sort of things. Right? We have the same references. Like we probably wouldn't know from just like putting us both together. He's, we have, you know, he's very earthy and sort of hippie, and I'm surfy and I'm not. And but at the same <laughs> time, a lot of things we love. We love the same novelist, uh, Matthew Riley. We're both big fans of his. We're just, um, just there's a lot of there's a lot of common ground there, and so we get along really well. And we also he he knew exactly what I wanted with the character. I said, you know, I want an Australian Kurt Russell. I said, that's what I want. You know, I said, you, you've got to, I want this, I don't want you to be funny, funny, but you can be, have that Australian larrikinism that's just bring it in, you know, bring it in sort of like at a, a sort of a lower level. It's not like, you know, it's not like one of those. <laughs> but um, no, he got it completely. And he also, and he embraced the whole thing about being an Anzac. Loved it. You know, really, because his grandfather was an Anzac and all sort of stuff. And he was just really, he was totally into representing uh, Australian soldiers because he doesn't feel like they've been represented. <laughs> you know what I mean, and, mm. and especially one being pretty much the hero. You know, so he really liked that. He loved the idea of that, and it was great. And also, it was really working with Nathan was great um, in a producing capacity because on a film, and a lot of people don't know that, but there's many different producers, right? You may have like say, you may have like say, uh, let's call it six producers, really, and he may be. You know, my other producers probably get mad at this. There's only about three of them that really do things. And like, so I was definitely doing all the creative sort of stuff, organizing a whole bunch of things, locations, special effects, blah, blah, blah. My business partner, Steve, was doing a lot of the contracting, finance, and all that sort of stuff. And Nathan was also helping where every part, like with catering, with um, getting, making sure we had sort of vans to transport people with, he was even helping with auditions, just with everything. You know what I mean? Like uh, he was just, wherever he was needed, he'd, he'd sort of plug a hole. So, and that was great because, and it was just really good because he was so invested in the project. Yeah, awesome. I, I hope you guys do get a chance to work again because it does feel like it's a natural thing. Oh, no, I totally have intentions to work with him very much again. You know what I mean? And um, because I kind of know what he can deliver. I mean, I was, I've always been a fan of, I've worked with Nathan a couple of times before in the past. Like I worked with him on a movie called, um, what was that movie called? Uh, Dying Breed? Yeah, Dying Breed. And then, then we worked together on Hunters. And um, it was on Hunters we started saying, oh, man, we really, we really just need to work together properly, you know, like, like properly, properly. And, um, and from that, it basically, you know, we always had sort of had the, the thing to talk in mind. But it wasn't until I, when I saw um, the, what was that movie that he did, the one with the post-apocalyptic one? Oh, These Final Hours. These Final Hours. I saw that, and I think I messaged him. I messaged him or called him or something and said, seriously, best performance you've ever done i really thought that was just a, st it's a stellar performance I, I i think i said something like 
that shows me you're an actor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah. that's no, no offense to any of the other roles he's done before, but I went, nah, he's, he's acting, man. He's, that was really good. So, yeah. I totally agree. And I, I, I hold that in regard to being one of the top 20 great Australian films of all time. It's phenomenal. Oh, look, I really agree. It's just really amazing. It's just, again, great performances and everything. So, and it's funny with Nathan because he can kind of, like, he grows a beard and he, he ages like, probably ages, <laughs> he ages like 20 years. Because, like, that film wasn't done that long ago and, like, he was clean shaven and he looked like a young bloody surfer. So, <laughs> like, he can almost, he can bounce between different sort of, like, demographic as well. So, yeah, that's why he's, he's quite versatile, yeah. Yeah, a bit of a chameleon for sure. Uh, well, anyway, like I said, Blood Vessel is available on Blu-ray and DVD and digital through Umbrella Entertainment and on Shudder. Uh, go buy a copy, go watch it, and keep listening to the show because we do have copies of that to give away thanks to Umbrella. Uh, Justin, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, mate. Congrats on a kick-ass horror flick i've had heaps of fun with the film i've watched it three times now actually and um really appreciate you taking the time
any any excuse to play some Outcast is fine by me. That was Dracula's Wedding. I think it's a perfect footnote to that conversation with Justin Dix. Very cool stuff. And we do have Blood Vessels lead actor Nathan Phillips coming up, who some of you would probably know from Wolf Creek or even Snakes on a Plane, amongst so many other things. In fact, he was in one of my favourite Aussie films, These Final Hours. Uh, an incredible performance there. So hang tight. He is coming up. But first, let's get this week's movie news from Screen Realm. And then we'll, uh, we'll talk about vampires. What's going on everybody? It's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favourite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. Kicking off with an Orphan prequel. That's right, 11 years after the release of horror thriller Orphan comes word that the prequel is now being filmed. Orphan First Kill is set to star Julia Stiles, whose many credits include four Jason Bourne movies, Hustlers and Silver Linings Playbook, among many others. Interestingly though, the original film star Isabel Furman, who played the, in quotation marks, Orphan, is reprising her role as Esther. Deadline broke the news reporting that the plot will follow Lena Klammer as she orchestrates a brilliant escape from an Estonian psychiatric facility and travels to America by impersonating the missing daughter of a wealthy family. But Lena's new life as Esther comes with an unexpected wrinkle and pits her against the mother who will protect her family at all costs. As for how Furman, now at 23 years of age, will be embodying the character again, the filmmakers are reportedly using a combination of forced perspective shooting and a world-class makeup team. Orphan First Kill is being directed by William Brent Bell, known for Stay Alive, The Devil Inside, The Boy and Brahms The Boy 2. In more horror news, Insidious 5 has officially been greenlit with one of the franchise's stars at the helm. Patrick Wilson, who starred in Insidious and Insidious Chapter 2, is set to direct the fifth film in the horror film series. As was announced at the first Blumfest, Wilson will be directing and starring alongside Ty Simpkins, who will be back as Dalton Lambert, son to Wilson's Josh Lambert. The film is to be a sequel reuniting the Lamberts 10 years after the last installment and following Dalton as he heads to college. Who knows what the demons of Astral Plane The Further will have in store this time around. Aussie franchise creator Lee Wanell came up with the story and the script has been penned by Scott Teams, whose credits include Rectify, this year's Michael Shannon starring The Quarry, Netflix's Narcos Mexico and the upcoming horror sequel Halloween Kills. Our writer Adam Fleet had two movie reviews go up in the past week, His House, a Netflix horror film that he called a harrowing horror story with a focus on the refugee perspective, 4 out of 5 stars and alone a survival thriller that he called a skillfully crafted edge of your seat thriller which also got four out of five stars be sure to check out both those reviews both those films are worth tracking down one's on netflix the other is available to rent on foxtel and fetch and finally we have two awesome giveaways on the website right now the horror thriller apartment 1br and the new scott atkins action movie seized both of them are available to own right now and we're giving away 10 dvd copies of each film so jump on screen realm head to the win page and enter that about does it for me guys thanks so much for having me as usual screenrealm.com for your latest movie tv news trailers all that jazz i'm out of here welcome to bonehead weekly fun size this week's topic gentlemen is rodent films <laughs> because why not yeah i mean we we talked about whether is it a mouse whether it's a rat and chad said let's do rodents well, by, by the way, and, and we should do rodents because we need to have respect for them because eventually they will be our overlords. Disney already owns Marvel, Star Wars. Hail the rodents. 
on our animated rodent films, one of my favorite ones is a Gore Verbinski film. And actually, we were Chad and I were talking about this. As far as if you don't know, who Gore Verbinski is he's the director of *Make Pirates of the Caribbean*. But my three favorite Gore Verbinski films are right up here with either *The Weatherman* and *Rango*, going back and forth, and then *Mouse Hunt*. *Mouse Hunt* is a lot of fun. Stars Nathan Lane. It was a kind of a modest hit in the '90s. The mouse doesn't talk. Mouse is a huge character. It's the last movie with a character actor on here we've talked about several times, William Hickey, who we just have Debbie, Debbie Rochon on our, our previous episode who talked about working with William Hickey. Check out Mouse Hunt. I think it's one that probably doesn't get a lot of play anymore, but I really liked it. Uh, I'm going to go with one of the staples from my childhood. Um, I am a big Don Bluth fan. Ah. So I have to talk about The Secret of Nim uh dark dark animated film if you haven't seen it it's about a mother uh mother mouse who has a, a sick child and other children and the 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 area that they're moving in they have to evacuate and they can't because the child is sick and she is seeking a secret magical amulet that will help her get out uh, get her family out before they are doomed uh, that is a bad description of that movie. No, uh, well, I haven't seen it in a long time. But you it is know. very the owl the owl scene in that movie is extremely it's traumatizing. It's like for the a last. Child. It's one of those films like the Last Unicorn. If you're of a certain age, it traumatized you visually. It also, I had that. the lunchbox when I was in grade school. The old school metal lunchbox with the secret in him. Wish I yeah. still had it. And you know, honestly, it didn't scar me any. Deadly silence on a podcast. Yep, there you go. <laughs> All right, and James, James, what do you got? I have to go with, and, and, and those of you that know me know I'm going to do this. I have to yes, do with we the, know. the greatest rat of all time. There's even a song about what a great rat he is. And I, of course, refer to Vincent Price voicing Radigan in The Great Mouse Detective. Chad, I, get, I ask you, name me three other rats that have songs about how they are the greatest criminal mastermind. That I'll wait. are also voiced by Vincent Price. Oh, hold on. Give me one other Vincent Price voiced rat that says he's the greatest. <laughs> hold on. Let me let me look up songs about current political leaders. <laughs> oh, 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 timely. Dump the Trump. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, yeah, no. So if you've never seen The Great Mouse Detective, it's one that I wish Disney would do a direct uh, a, a direct to video sequel for. But now, who's going to do the voice now? Maurice LaMarche that did, the, did Vincent Van Gogh and and um, the Scooby-Doo reboot where they brought back Vincent Van Gogh. If you're going to do it, you better get him. By the way, we would love to have him on the show if he happens to some reason hear this. Oh, uh, quick, quick uh, off topic. Screw you, Disney, for replacing Maurice LaMarche in Frozen 2. Go to hell. Who was um, he the voice of? The dad. Oh, I didn't know. But yes, yes, uh, Maurice LaMarche uh, could do it. But yes, no, I... I love Sherlock Holmes. So obviously, I used to watch it with my dad as as a kid. I watched every version, Basil Rathbone, all of them. So when there was a Disney film version of Sherlock Holmes with Basil Baker Street, based on the book series, which I have the original books over there now. Oh my um, god! But yes, Radigan is Moriarty of the Rat World. And with that, yes, thank you so weird. much. I know it was just a weird sentence to hear. That's been our favorite rat movies or rotten films. Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to hold this pose? <laughs> I don't, oh, are we free, Raymond? Can I we do not know. Can, can we do like the, 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 not the naked gun, but the, yeah, Police Squad.
Ah, those boneheads from Kentucky. They are, of course, in the USA. And, well, if that anticipated Second Civil War breaks out at any moment, then uh, Lord help those boneheads. Great stuff from them, as always. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't give them any kind of lead-in time to record a special vampire segment to tie in with today's show. So why not Rodent Movies? They had that one banked, and I thought I'd use that. Anyway, their own podcast, Bonehead Weekly, features a who's who of film folk. So go ahead and throw Joe, Chad, and James a like and a follow. Give them some love too. And before them was Guillermo with all of this week's movie news and updates from Screen Realm. Show them some love while you're at it. ScreenRealm.com is where you go. But Ben, vampires. It's like I'm, it's like I'm in the studio with uh, the Count from Sesame Street. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you very much. And... Um, <laughs> As you would know, I've said this on the show before, maybe before your tenure, but um, Roman Polanski's Fearless Vampire Killers would have to be one of my favourite vampire films of all time. Possibly one of the best damn looking vampire films I've ever seen. Those opening scenes with um, uh, Abronius and Alfred on the cart in the snow, it's absolutely gorgeous. Have you seen that one? I saw it when I was about 13. I borrowed it from Video Flash. Uh, It was another one of those movies that I... I convinced my grandmother that my parents would be totally cool with me watching when I was like 13 you know, and uh, they would not have been and uh, <laughs> watching it. And a lot, so much of it went over my head. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's crying out for a rewatch. It is a perfect balance between actual horror and slapstick comedy. It's got both. You see, I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I picked up on any of the horror stuff in it. Like I just, all I remember in that it was like a it was like watching a like a, a vampire version of some mothers do have it <laughs> mainly with roman polanski yeah no there's there's a lot of cool stuff in there i really just the the production value of it is incredible to me but uh i tell you what same deal as before let me reel off a bunch of vampire films that i really dig some unusual ones and then maybe either take your pick from those or bring one to the table uh razor blade smile is one back in the 90s that i really dug a real sort of indie kind of vampire film chronos which is uh guillermo del toro uh thirst the aussie film lesbian vampire killers with um james gordon uh and martin the uh the george romero film that's a great one and of course we can't ignore life force the toby hooper film i think that's pretty cool too any of those struck a chord or maybe have something else up your sleeve i look i, I like all of those films but for me i think you've gone too new yeah, all of them right i think if you if you want to watch an awesome vampire film you can't go past the christopher lee peter cushing classic dracula ad 1972 <laughs> oh my god which i like i i love like i really love this film not only is it is it a hammer dracula film mm-hmm. but it's the one that they set in the 70s which to be honest with you, I always thought it was more sixties because it's very sixties swinging sixties kind of London uh, set, but they did it to to kind of capture young audiences after kind of the Gothic horror stuff. It started to slowly uh, lose uh, less in popularity, Uh, but it, it does feature the stunning sister Kate, (laughs) Stephanie Beecham. That's all I was. I don't care if you've seen uh, The Bitch or The Nightcomers or are fans <laughs> of Dallas. For me, Stephanie Beecham is always going to be Sister Kate from uh, the sitcom Sister Kate with Jason Priestley pre Beverly Hills 90210. <laughs> uh, 
and Carolyn Munro, the gorgeous Carolyn Munro. And it's all about, it's like, it's kind of ridiculous. Like a descendant of uh, Dracula's offsider uh, revives the dead count. The count is killed by Peter Cushing and a wagon wheel at the start of the film. And uh, then he's revived due to, thanks to an occult ritual by this descendants, this disciple's descendants, whose last name in the film is actually Dracula spelled backwards because they're just that clever. <laughs> and uh, Stephanie Beecham is the descendant of Van Helsing. She's uh, Jessica Van Helsing. Oh my God. And her great grandfather, Peter Cushing, or grandfather Peter Cushing, who's also a descendant of the original Van Helsing. Naturally, you can't be, they can't both, they couldn't not both be descendants. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but I tell you what, it is, it is a phenomenal film, but the best special effect in it is the magical tape that Stephanie Beecham uses to keep her breasts ensconced <laughs> in her dress during the kind of sacrifice scenes. I, there's scenes where she, just breathing, she looks like she's going to pop out. Is she? And there is nothing is she wearing, I would have loved more. Is she wearing a wonder bra? She. I don't think. I don't think Stephanie Beecham needed a wonder bra. Uh, no, she, a, a wonder bra. A wonder bra. Yeah. <laughs> Wunderbar. I don't think she needed it. How does it hold up as a horror film? Ah. Uh, I mean, I. <laughs> I don't know. Like, is there like a lot of the, a lot of horror films? Like for me, I, I'm a I'm a big jump scare guy. Like yeah. I, they work on me all the time, and I'm a big guy. So when I jump, everyone two yeah. two rows around me, they know it. It's hilarious. Uh, and there's none of that. It like they they like yeah. They're not really none of the none of the Christopher Lee Dracula films were like scary, scary. But when I say horror, like how about the gothic themes? Are they really prevalent? Like, or is it more a kitschy kind of thing? Okay, it's very. It, I mean, this is the probably the kitschiest of those Christopher Lee, yeah, right, uh, Dracula movies, just because it's set in that kind of in a in a modern setting. It's no like something like uh, was it Satan? Is it Satan rides out? Is that what it's called? Like the kind of the more mm. the more culty um, folk horror type ones of the same era. Yep, have, have a lot more kind of of that kind of stuff in it. This is a lot more kind of fun and kitchen it's sure. it's very uh similar i guess for me in kind of tone to um uh what's it called not death cheaters uh what's that the motorcycle gang who uh um it's got a couple of names uh and i just can't think of it psycho psychomania psychomania is one of the titles awesome i'll throw one into the discussion that i actually watched again recently in preparation for this episode i was trying to think what's a vampire film that probably few people know about but would be interested in. And there's one called The Wisdom of Crocodiles, which was released in 1998, and it starred Jude Law, Timothy Spall, Kerry Fox, and uh, Alina Lowenson. I think that's how you pronounce her surname. And she was also... From all the Hell Hartley movies. And she was also in the other vampire film, Naja, which was produced by David yeah, Lynch. Yeah, Martin Donovan. Yeah. Yeah, which we've talked I, about. Uh, I, didn't know Crocodile, I didn't know Crocodile Tears was a vampire film. A Wisdom of Crocodiles. Wisdom of Crocodile, sorry. Crocodile Tears, yeah. Yeah, and well, in America, it was released as Immortality. That was the international title. Right. But this one... I actually, to be honest, I thought you were going to say Forsaken Desert Vampires. Dude, I am still working on um, <laughs> on on old Jonathan to get him on the show. Believe me, I am at it. Yeah, right. Awesome. And I will, I will make that happen. So I've avoided talking about Forsaken because I know damn well we're going to have a whole episode about it. Yeah. 
(laughs) But The Wisdom of Crocodiles, it's a strange horror thriller uh, that blends the usual sort of romance and sex stuff that you find in vampire films, but it also infuses a police procedural element. Um, Jude Law plays a guy that he romances, he seduces all these women and actually over a prolonged time. So he gets to the point that he proposes to them, they become engaged and then they this one moment of passion, he always kills them. Like, and it's like he's a vampire that only needs to feed every so often. And when he does, it's a frenzy. And, you know, he right. gets these women in the absolute passion, you know, of, of love and then just absolutely wipes them clean. <laughs> like, it's it's right. really brutal. But um, it's well made. But the director went on to pretty shit stuff like, you know, Steven Seagal and Wesley Snipe DTV crap. So it's a shame that this, you know, this talent that made this really, really effective and provocative film went on to, to you know, just pretty average stuff. Yeah. I mean, thinking about it, it's funny how, like, when you suggested this topic and when we were talking about it and thinking about it, I was struggling to kind of think of cool vampire films that I really liked. And now I'm thinking, well, I completely forgot about Near Dark and From Dust Till Dawn and, uh, you know, Dracula 2000. Yes. And, and Dracula 3000. I kind of, I feel like they're just the obvious go-tos and I was sort and of trying. Bordello of Blood. I was trying, yeah, Bordello of Blood. Oh my God. I was trying to. Th- Tales from the Crypt Presents Bordello of Blood. I was trying to I think of say. the more obscure ones going into this, but you're right. Yeah. Like, you know, once again, let's just file that in the basket and we'll not talk about it again. <laughs> I just, I, f- I feel like we've had a vampire discussion somewhere along the lines already on this show. I just can't pinpoint where, uh, but nevertheless, Bordello of Blood, mate. There's an episode in that. I'll get um, I'll get what's his name, John Cassier on the show. And can we get Erica Eleniak on the show? Yeah, Is that something that we why can not? Do? Why not? And we can talk about her career. Yeah, Chasers and Baywatch. I know we're not like we're not. I'm, I know we're not supposed to cover TV on this show, but if we get Erica Eleniak, surely we can talk about Baywatch. We'd have to, and let's not forget Under Siege because there's a great cake moment in that. Oh, there's a yeah. <laughs> The greatest cake moment in cinema, I would argue. I could easily fall down that rabbit hole, but I don't want to. I'd love to fall down her rabbit hole. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) See, Uncle Ben can do the puns as well. (laughs) And with that, uh, we have a conversation with Nathan Phillips to get to. So all you need to know about what you're about to hear is that Nathan actually lives rather remotely and has fairly average phone reception. So if his audio cuts out a little bit, that would be why I keep that in mind. But without further delay, it's a pretty awesome conversation. Uh, Here's Nathan Phillips. Hey, mate. Great to talk to you. Thanks for swinging by. Yes. Lovely to see you again. Congrats on Blood Vessel, mate. Finally released on Blu-ray. What a rad movie. Yep. She's a corker. So you and Justin have, you've worked a few times together over the years on Dying Breed and Hunters, if I've got my facts right i guess it's safe to say you guys have a pretty good working relationship yeah we have a really deadly rapport um he's a fanboy uh he loves cinema his uh favorite holidays halloween not christmas or anything he's like um he's an avid you know avid uh you know um like i said fanboy of uh the genre itself horror and he's worked with you know luke george lucas obviously he's, he's you know, you know Justin, but the, what I love about Justin is he has enthusiasm. Um, it's like, how long's a piece of string? Like that guy just lives and breathes cinema. Uh, he, and then he's quite, quite uh, an expert in his fields of special effects. And, uh, you know, he's just a, yeah, he's just a really wonderful man to be around and he treats everyone with kindness and he's just a wonderful leader. Um, 
and he's getting better at directing, obviously. Um, but he's just a fantastic person to be around, and that it's infectious. Um, and it, he makes you uh, enjoy your day of work and enjoy your day of play more so. What a difference it makes to be a fanboy first, hey? Yeah, you've got a bit of uh, authenticity about it, you know. Um, he has his, you know, he clearly blood vessels a homage to many of his uh, favorite directors and even stylized shots. And um, he wanted to make a vampire movie that was, you know, quite different and and you know, no no, you know, CGI and just all real effects and you know, working with really talented uh, makeup artists and everyone that works with him loves him. Um, so it was. A no-brainer for me because the concept worked. You know, it's when you have a tight budget and I helped him raise the money. We talked about this early and it was filming in Melbourne where I'm originally from and in Williamstown where I wasn't far, you know, born away. My grandparents are from there and it just felt so right. And, the, um, and to actually film on an actual ship that served in World War II, um, the, I knew, like, working in film over 22 years now, I kind of know when things are going to work and where I want to put my energy. Otherwise I'd put my energy into being in the outdoors and working the land and being of service. But I do love working with great people and I'm happy to only work when I want to work now. Um, so Justin, yeah, he had a great concept, um, one location really. Um, and it was really uh, quite advantageous in a lot of ways, um, but he pulled it off. And I mean, he worked tirelessly. He worked, he worked, you know, just to the bone. Um, and he always had a smile on his face. Like, I kid you not, you know, then the hours, like directing, producing, he'd be there scrubbing down a ship, getting the blood and all the effects off to help the people, you know, like he just he went to such lengths to show his passion. Um, and, you know, to be working with him so closely with choosing the other actors um, and producing the movie with him, I felt uh, a lovely bit of an onus, a responsibility, accountability, and, to kind of bring that old Kurt Russell vibe, you know, you want like to have a, <laughs> yeah. like to really play it all fit. Like, cause my like great grandfathers were rats to Brook. So to be able to play and how, when I've read like uh, Peter Fitzsimmons, um, rats to Brook, for instance, the letters from the Anzacs, they always were in, you know, they were in such dire straits yet they still had a sense of humor. And I love that. We kept that with the character of uh, Sinclair. Um, and then just to be able to, work with the other actors closely and the script and he's not too precious about it's not Shakespeare for him and if you just make it sing let's make it work and so yeah it was a very fun uh, experience except for being on a very small ship and you do hit your head a lot (laughs) and you over it you know (laughs) I was about to ask you about shooting um in 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 the warship it it must have been challenging to say the least but speaking of the um like the the sense of humor your character i think has probably the greatest line in the entire film and that's that reveal when you see the vampire for the first time and it's a simple get fucked i don't think i've laughed that hard in a long time you've you said it with such conviction mate i just did that on the day just just yeah felt right and that's the best thing about me just yeah he gives me he gives me a long uh, he gives me a bit of rope he really allows me to uh, flesh out some ideas and I like to be instinctive and I don't like to do too many takes. I think the magic's there, you know, and uh, as long as you're prepared um, and yeah, that's where the magic lies, you know, it's in that space of play. Yeah. Right. And I'm thinking like vampires, Nazi warship, badass character. Do you even need to read the script? It kind of has hell yes written all over it. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it, exactly. I'm like, 
yeah, zombies and like <laughs> vampires and Nazis. <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a motley concoction, you know. Um, and that's the thing with a good concept. You can have, you got to have all the ingredients to for alchemy to make gold. If you're missing one, and I really believed in Justin and. And yeah, he, I mean, he's it's only second directorial kind of thing, and he's only going to go strength from strength. So I really hope the Australian film industry backs him, or people back him, and see his talent. And so he, he really is like my Ridley Scott of Australia, you know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> so over, over the years, uh, you've you've been on the same credit scrolls as people like Samuel L. Jackson, Rachel Taylor, Lee Winnell, Matthew McConaughey, uh, Oscar Isaac, but dude. Now, Dave Hughes, you've arrived. Is he? Well, he's a mate, so I got him. I got him to do me a favor because <laughs> I've done favors going on his radio show and TV show. So yeah, I was really, really stoked to uh, <laughs> get Hughesy on. You know, just for that. and it's he's he was nervous, poor bugger. He was a nervous Nelly to say the least. He's he just cl- he clams up. He's like, what's yeah. yeah? And he's just you know he's good value. He's Hughesy. Easy, nice. Well, speaking of fantastic, colourful characters as well, you've also worked with um, Steady Eddie. Um, excuse the digression for a moment, but like, talk about a fitting title, Under the Radar. That's a great little flick. Yeah, I know. It's pretty, pretty funny. Um, um, Chloe, funny enough, Chloe Maxwell, uh, I think she won an AFI for that performance. Yeah, it's just one of those films that I just, I, I think it sort of, it holds up really well when you watch it, you know, all these years later. All right. Yeah, I can't say I've seen it for a long, long time. Um, like, that's the blast in the past, that. I mean, I was a puppy then. Um, you were. Do you look yeah. back on any of your movies like that? Well, You and Your Stupid Mate was a really funny one um, with Angus Samson. I loved that. Mark, Mark Gracie. Yeah, I wish it was a bit more, like, gun-ho, a bit more, went a bit bigger and a bit more you know but the, it was a good concept it just yeah it kind of fell short but um i'm catching up with rose Byrne tomorrow she's in in town doing the, the film and we i did takeaway i'd done takeaway with mark gracie just before that and that was a really yeah. fun movie you know stephen curry and vince colosimo and uh you know just Rose Bird, just a large, just a real good laugh, you know, Kevin Harrington. One of the other ones I wanted to quickly talk about, and I think possibly the greatest performance you've ever given would be These Final Hours. I think it's arguably one of the greatest Australian films of all time. Do you have a performance in general that you look back on, or even a film that you hold high above the rest? Australian Rules. Yeah, right. Yeah, Diana. That Australian Rules. It's a great film. That was my best like my first film straight out the gates and it was based on a book based on a true story and um being you know very uh you know uh frustrated with the way we've treated the indigenous and uh the or the originals you know and just uh the it was right at that time when you started to see Australian cinema recognizing it um mm-hmm. you had a spate of film with the tracker so I was nominated against David Goopley that year when he won for the tracker. Yeah. Um, no better bloke to see win. Um, you know, I came from the West. I, I didn't, I fell, I kind of fell into it. Um, and the Australian rules was, was my bread and butter. I had an amazing uh, dramaturg with David Field. He's an Australian icon. Um, yeah. And that's how I cut my teeth. And it took 10 years till I felt that again. And that was these final hours. So if I ever say my two favorite films, it was, 
yeah, these final hours, uh, clearly. And um, just because, again, the, the, the subject matter was very um, timely. Um, yeah. The story was powerful and made your mind kind of really turn over and it made your heart really pump and made your gut kind of like churn. Um, so Australian Rules gave me a lot of experience as a young man to really uh, see the world for what it is and uh, Australia for what it is. And uh, since then, yeah, I haven't looked back really, but I definitely prefer, I like the popcorn and, you know, I like, like entertainment and I think comedy is great medicine. I mean, um, I'd love to see everyone laughing more, but I do think if we can, the power of film to be a universal storytelling and pa pa pass on uh, the human qualities of a good ethos and a pathos and just a great hubris of characters, you know, um, yeah. it can be a very pivotal, powerful platform. So if I wasn't doing it on the camera, I'd be doing it by the fire. Put it that way. <laughs> I do it. Over the last 12 months, I've done a lot of work for the Scarefest convention in America and I introduced them to these final hours through a video segment that I was doing and blew their minds. It's, it's a really universal story. It's fantastic. Yeah, no. But the, the one I get noticed for still and freak people out is Wolf Creek. Everywhere I go, especially when I go bush, people <laughs> are like, especially when people want to get like hitchhikers. I've hitch up hitchhikers and, oh, my God, I've had some funny experiences <laughs> where people are like, uh, you well, from Wolf Creek. Like, they grab the door and get out the car, you know. <laughs> People listening right now can't see that you actually look like you've stepped right out of Wolf Creek. <laughs> I do, don't I? You do, mate. No, they'll do. get a chance. They'll get a chance on Thursday to see our uh, midweek video. And um, yeah, you're looking the part, mate. Um, I, I'm sure you get asked this a lot, but I, I have to do it. Um, how the hell do you end up in snakes on a plane? Um, fun concept. I'm an avid surfer and I knew we got to finish filming in Hawaii and it was a no-brainer. I mean, it was Samuel L. Jackson yeah. um, and I was, I was skint and literally uh, got the phone call when I got back from uh, a fruitless, uh, well, it wasn't fruitless, but I just didn't get any work for a couple of months. Then when I got back to Australia right before Christmas, I booked the job and uh, popped the champagne. I was off to Canada and, yeah, filming with Bobby Cannavale and... Uh, you know, Elsa Padicky and some really young people that have gone on to great stuff. Um, and I got to live in Hawaii for a month and surf big waves. And I mean, <laughs> the, me and the director of us became very close. I went to his daughter's wedding. I got to smoke cigars with Paul Walker and met my one of my best mates, Noah Johnson, who was my stunt double in Hawaii, who, you know, won the ADA cow. And I've, you know, I basically got family in Hawaii from that trip. Um, and that's good to have in Hawaii when you're a white fellow, Howley. Surfing out in the waves. <laughs> I reckon that <laughs> I reckon the film has actually over the years it survived that pop cultural juggernaut. Like it's it's actually become you know something of a, a cult classic. I love it. Don't care what people say. If I had my time to play Australian, not American, because I would have been funnier and not so nervous, and you yeah. know I wouldn't I would have out more. I would have been funnier. I would have been more natural. That's my only kind of regret. As I mentioned a moment ago, uh, I've done a lot of work with Scarefest in Lexington. Um, a lot of our listeners on this show are from Kentucky, and I, I believe you've recently shot a film there. What, what's the film, and what's Kentucky like from an Aussie perspective? Uh, I shot two films in Minnesota. One's called Tuscaloosa, um, directed by Phil Harder. Yep. Um, and it's a book, um, and it's all about 
60s and the pivotal, you know, time of Vietnam War and black rights. And uh, uh, it was a, yeah, really fun little role, just a sheriff. And then I did this really, really crazy film noir kind of no dialogue, really interesting project it was with a really interesting guy that was mates with Phil uh, where it's called Three Day Weekend and it's quite a thriller and it actually comes together really well and there's no dialogue and that's what I liked about it. Plus, I got to live in Minnesota on the lakes and uh, go fishing and have uh, hot baths, hot saunas on the, on the lakes and eat. They eat apple pie there with cheese. Um, I'm a sucker for it now. I can't have what? apple pie without... Yeah, they have these sharp cheeses with apple pie and it actually works i'd be you know, i implore you to try it it sounds crazy but i'm stuck <laughs> for it now i won't <laughs> knock it till i try it uh, so look according to look imdb which is not always that accurate shookham hills is that something you're doing oh yeah well that's in kentucky but i filmed my part yeah so that director i forgot i did that, I forgot <laughs> I did that. yeah there you go so so yes i have done a film but i did my part in la right there you go so shookham hills yeah I did that with um, the director that I worked with on um, in Chernobyl Diaries. Excellent. Which um, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about Chernobyl Diaries on our Thursday night video because I, I want to know about that. But um, uh, we're pretty much out of time. I'd love to talk to you for much longer to get in depth to some of your filmography. But alas, uh, we are out of time. But mate, cheers for indulging me with this chat. You're a bloody legend, and I hope we can do it again someday. No problem. Oh, how good was that, mate? When did when did Nathan Phillips first appear on your radar? It's hard to say. I could I, I seem to remember him in in seeing him in something in TV. Neighbors probably. Uh, maybe like when he was kind of a kid or like very youngish. Yep. But um, the video store I used to work at, one of the uh, or two of the customers, I should say, uh, the third brother. There were three brothers. The third brother who wasn't a customer at the video store was a filmmaker. His name was uh, Mark Gracie, and he made uh, a couple of films. I think there's a couple of them with with Nathan in them. Um, Takeaway, and You and Your Stupid Mate. I yep. think were both yep. his films, and we we got them in the in the store because of the you know we we had to. Um, and that's I think that was the first time I kind of saw Nathan. Then when Wolf Creek kind of came out, it was like, oh, it's the guy from You and Your Stupid Mate, which could have been, I'm pretty sure that was You and Your Stupid Mate was before Wolf Creek. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, definitely, yeah. Always thought, I always knew his face as a sort of a teenager because he's on the same age as him and I'd, I'd seen him in Neighbours yeah. and Australian Rules was a movie that really sort of, you know, struck a chord with me, but he was always just that Aussie actor by then. Um, yeah. I, but, thought he, I, always thought him, I always thought of him as... We, and we mentioned Baywatch earlier in the show, but I always thought of him as Australia's Hobie, like Mitch's son from Baywatch. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why, like he played like a grommet, like a character called Gromit in, yeah, yeah. in a, like a soap, like where he played a character called Gromit or something like that. It may have been. Uh, he he played those type of characters. and Those type of characters. But that, that's, who, that's who I always thought he was, yeah, Australia's Hobie. So, yeah, and even look, I even knew him from um, Warriors of Virtue 2 when I was a kid because like, you know, I love the Warriors of Virtue and to know there was a sequel was exciting. But you know what? It was the movie One Perfect Day and then Under the Radar. Those are the two that really sort of cemented him in my mind as Nathan Phillips, that actor. And then, of course, you had Wolf Creek and the Hollywood gigs came along. And I really I really like him. The classic film that is Snakes on a Plane. Snakes on a Plane, that's it. <laughs> Which yeah. is a fun movie. Like, you know all those simulations we ran? <laughs> this is one we didn't think of. <laughs> But um, uh, that's is that the greatest Samuel L. Jackson impression you've ever heard? Oh, I mate, don't think, it's, uh... 
to to coin one of your phrases, phenomenal. It's phenomenal, yeah. It's <laughs> like uh, I remember on an episode of Parkinson, Michael Caine was a guest, and they asked him to do a Sean Connery impression, and that was about as uh, <laughs> that was a that was about as good as as Michael Caine's Sean Connery impression. One of the 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 great accents of all time, doing the other great accent of all time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, But anyway, look, thanks to Nathan for taking the time to chat with me. Uh, he will be up on our Thursday night video uh, doing some rapid fire with me. So please join us for that one because it's cool. And I do pick his brain on stuff like snakes on a plane. And I even ask if he has seen snakes on a train, uh, which if you haven't seen snakes on a train, what are you doing? See it. I haven't seen it. I didn't even know snakes on a train was a thing. I thought for a second you were talking about Indiana Jones <laughs> and uh, The Last Crusade. It's like, need, need it be said, it's an asylum title. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> well, it all makes sense now. But, like, how can they? But it's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, snakes on a plane was the big budget, was a big budget version of asylum films. It's like they haven't caught the joke. <laughs> I know. But tell me that's not a great cash in title, Snakes on a Train. Oh, it's phenomenal. <laughs> Hey guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen with another Good Movie Monday recommendation. This week, I will be giving you a slice of Nazi goodness that is known as Overlord. Now, ostensibly, this is just Wolfenstein, the movie. Now, we all know how bad video game adaptations are in cinema, but this one is not, you know, a direct adaptation, but it's basically the same premise. And it rocks. It really, really rocks. So, in an alternate 1944 we have some paratroopers who land in enemy territory are decimated and then they think that they've got this chance to take out this radio tower now what they discover during their mission is uh not wholly of this world a little bit supernatural a little bit gnarly and very very gory now <clears throat> that intersection of action film and horror film war film it just it really works here julius avery the director has also got like this really punchy sense of action and i mean look all of us are pretty addicted to world war ii video games and this one really captured kind of that immediacy so it's going into that realm he's not going for the realism you know of like saving private ryan even though that when violence happens in this movie it just absolutely hits um i think that another really good element of this movie is some kind of underappreciated actors that get a chance to shine here. Wyatt Russell, son of Kurt Russell, is really good here and it really makes for a convincing action leading man. And I think that he's mirrored in a really excellent way by our villain here, played by Pilau Aspect, who you might know from Game of Thrones, but he is incredibly slimy here so yeah so like look if you're looking for kind of like a kick-ass action movie that just goes into overdrive when it does that genre flip overlord is the movie for you so check it out i'd give this one four stars really rock solid stuff here and i'm very interested to see what julius avery does as a director next Ah, Adam Ross, there he is, sticking with the Nazi horror theme. Much appreciated there, mate. And uh, if this show is any indication, there is not a movie that guy does not love. <laughs> of course, you know, he's adopted that five-star mantra, and look, we love it. Even though that was a four-star film, Overlord, we appreciate it nonetheless, mate. Um, time to give away some free shit. Last week, we promised a double pass to the Lunar Drive-In. And the winner is actually no stranger to MonsterFest or Fake Shemp for that matter. He's practically the monster mascot, Simon Harcourt. 
He shared his story about the drive-in with us on Facebook, and he wrote, and I quote, My favorite drive-in experience was going to see Rogue with this girl from high school in year 12. Didn't watch the movie, but it was great. <laughs> uh, so, you know, bless his cotton socks. Congrats to Simon. We'll, uh, we'll be in touch with you, mate, to arrange getting those tickets to you. Thanks to the Lunar Drive-In for supporting the show, and we'll have more of their passes to give away on uh, upcoming episodes. But don't forget, at the start of the show, we played a mystery TV spot and we do have three copies of Blood Vessel to give away. So the first two people that can identify that movie that was being advertised in that TV spot will win a copy of Blood Vessel on Blu-ray and the third person to chime in will win a copy on DVD. So email your answers to glenn at fakechamp.net and get in quick and good luck. But Ben, we're almost done. Uh, have you been keeping tabs on celebrities over there? Have any of them died since we started recording? I'm uh, fingers crossed. I'm hoping they have. I think we need to employ a celebrity death watcher. <laughs> well, anyway, thanks for those celebrities who didn't die. And on that note, if uh, those celebrities that are listening could maybe not die or possibly do it before we record the next show, that would save us a lot of time and trouble. Yeah. Wednesday is a good day to die. Exactly. Just, just going to put that out there. Wednesday is a good day to die. That's a very good James Bond reference. See, you're a professional, mate. Does that mean I get paid? <laughs> when I get paid, you get paid. Okay. <laughs> Sponsors, we need you. And on that Bond shell, um, as opposed to bombshell. <laughs> these puns, these puns, they just... Uh, it's getting worse and worse as the show progresses. Thank you to Justin Dix and Nathan Phillips for stopping by to chat about Blood Vessel. The movie is now available on Blu-ray and DVD through Umbrella Entertainment. Thank you to Umbrella Entertainment too for supplying those prizes. And again, thanks to Luna for their support. Thanks to Jarrett from Monster Pictures. Thanks to Monster Pictures. Thanks to Guillermo from Screen Realm. Adam from Adam's Just Seen and the guys from Bonehead Weekly. Joe, Chad and James. And thanks to you, Ben. Another one in the bag. Not long before we can finally record the show face to face at the same desk. That's exciting. That's a that'll be a thunderball. <laughs> that was a was the only uh, <laughs> the only James Bond film I could come up with. <laughs> <laughs> like it's <laughs> Doctor No's not going to work here. <laughs> Diamonds Are Forever's not going to work. View to a Kill is not going to work. I need one. I need a one word Bond film. Spectre, no, that'll be a spectre. That's not going to work either. It had to be, th- I had to go with Thunderball. All right, well, nicely done. And uh, thanks to every single one of you for enduring this episode. <laughs> we really appreciate your support. Uh, please keep sharing us across social media. Tell your friends to, uh, to listen. Uh, keep vying for those prizes. We've got a never ending supply of prizes here to give away. And don't forget, we do have a special Sean Connery tribute screening tomorrow night on Facebook and YouTube. And I'm sure we have a super fun show lined up for you next week. Uh, a sort of change of pace. We're sort of wiping the slate clean. We haven't got any guests. We're going to just uh, have a full episode of Ben and I going mono e mono. So I'm looking forward to that one. You say mono, I say mano. Let's call the whole show off. We've got a few more to go at least, uh, but to cap off this vampirish theme of an episode, I've got a young Nick Cave singing for you here. This one is about vampires. It's called Bats and it's by the birthday party. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you next Monday.